0: welcome to Frameline I'm Barbara gosovsky here as usual with my favorite critic
1: Courtney small hello how are you today
0: great how are you
1: I am doing well and um you know it's always a pleasure to chat movies and thank you to all the listeners for for tuning in and I guess before we start um, if you happen to be listening to us via the the podcast version please be sure to rate and review us wherever you uh, are listening to us greatly appreciate That's it Yes. And tell your friends. It's free. Yes. That's even better. Free is always good.
0: (laughs) Free and available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) So, okay. So, the first film we're going to talk about is uh, opening in theaters on March 31st. It won a grand jury, the grand jury prize at Sundance this past January. So, this, this is like a big deal. So, that's like the biggest prize. And It is so well-deserved. It's a film called A Thousand and One. It is A.V. Rockwell's debut feature. Uh, She just does an incredible job directing this film and directing particularly the performances in this film. But I love the subtlety of her direction. So let me tell you first what it's about. Uh, Tiana Taylor stars as Inez, and Inez is this sort of tough, free spirit, totally unapologetic woman. Um, She's just been released from prison, and she has a six-year-old in the foster care system. And she is having a hard time, you know, because of the system, keeping them apart. So she kidnaps him, and they go into hiding. And this is the story of her raising her son in New York City. Uh, this is New York City uh, in the nineties.
1: Yeah, mid nineties.
0: Yeah. So it's a rapidly changing city, um, and they are just trying to, you know, live their lives. Uh, he's trying to establish and, and grow, and you know, get a sense of identity. They are trying to build a home, and they're just like they're just seeking stability in this rapidly changing place. And that's the thing about the film is that the film uh, focuses on them and their deep bond. So we we really, I found myself really invested in them and their relationship. And I think that is um, because because of the direction because uh, she. Rockwell, she just, she underscores emotional, dramatic moments so well. And it's not in a very, um, it's very subtle. What she does is very subtle. Um, and that's why it works so well. But um, Tiana Taylor, everybody actually, but Tiana Taylor in particular as Inez, she has to be given a lot of credit for this powerhouse performance as this woman. and. It's it's really incredible how the story of them in the context of this, you know, gentrification of New York City and the problems that causes for them, and just the politics around them, the system, you know, that is failing them, the system that is against them, um, you know, like the poor guy as he's growing up, he goes through the thing where he's like checked by the police just for walking down the street and being like basically hassled for being black, you know, that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, they're just trying to build a home and he is just trying to be successful in his schooling, you know, that, so it's just an, an emotionally intense and very, very rich film. It's a, it's an incredible experience.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's it's a powerhouse film, especially for, a first-time filmmaker or at least first-time feature filmmaker and to your point the performances are are fantastic tiana taylor carries a lot of this film on her back because you really get the sense of a mother doing everything she can to create the life that she believes that herself and her, her son should have despite every system telling you no um, for various reasons as you see with like the gentrification of new york the issues that the son has as you said with the police also with the school like there's just a lot of discrimination on various levels and then on on top of that she is working really hard you see her kind of taking various jobs and stuff trying her best to elevate them But yet, you know, there's that whole anchor of the fact that she kidnapped him out of the foster care system. So no matter how high they get, there's always that pulling them back down. And, you know, at some point she's going to have to, you know, come to terms with that. And that leads to other secrets, which we're not going to divulge because it's kind of one of those films that it really hits you as it's unfolding. But there's so much going on in this film. And then on top of that, you have New York shifting and you're seeing the gentrification and the gentrification actually directly impacting them in terms of not being able to get fixes in their apartment done because the superintendent the landlord is actively trying to force the people of color out of the building so that they can turn a profit and create whatever new condos or new stores so it's, it's a really fascinating look at motherhood but also just new york and what new york does to its people
0: yeah and and just that that line of suspense that's just running through it you know with all those layers that you were just talking about as each one gets added it just adds to this through line it's like Mm -hmm. this is a very suspenseful film right
1: yeah it is it's one that really kind of hits you on an emotional level um And yet you you still want to follow these characters up to the the very end. Like by time this film ends and everything is reviewed, you still feel for these characters and you understand what was driving them to make the decisions that they they made. It's it's a really accomplished film for for a first feature.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what else have you got?
1: Well, I'll talk about a film that this has been out for a couple of weeks, but it's now going to be available. Um, for, for home viewing, video on demand, and that is Cocaine Bear.
0: Um, oh, talk about a total shift.
1: <laughs> yeah, as, well, a, a total shift, yes, but, I mean, again, we have another female director, this is this time Elizabeth Banks, um, the actress who's been in many things, including Hunger Games. You know, she's back behind the director's chair, and she's done this really kind of, insane comedy thriller that's set in 1985 based on a true story about um this forest i guess it's, i believe it was set in georgia where a shipment of cocaine ends up getting kind of scattered all over this park national park and a bear ends up getting into it and i believe in the the real life stories the bear essentially got high off cocaine but passed away i think I think that's how the the story goes, as they're trying to figure out who would drop the shipment. Whereas, so this film kind of takes that premise, but really throws in a bunch of oddball characters. So you have, um, you know, this family where essentially it's this mother played by Carrie Russell, and she ends up going to the park looking for her daughter, who's kind of skipped school with her friend. So that brings her to the park. You've got these. Um, drug dealers who are looking to reclaim the shipment that has been dropped, and their boss is Ray Liotta, who's on them to get back as much as possible because there's some even bigger bads um, coming after them. And then you also have these local kind of hoods who aren't too bright, causing problems. And then you've got the park ranger. So you've got all these random characters thrown into this situation where they're all at this national park, and there's a bear that is high on cocaine and is doing anything it can to get even more cocaine as one does when you're addicted to cocaine. Uh, So from there you get like a lot of, you know, horror comedic moments. Uh, I think the film is entertaining. It doesn't quite work all the way through. Uh, I, I had more fun watching a film like uh, Megan with the, the Android that ends up killing people because I felt like that story was a little more cohesive. Whereas this one, there are times where the film kind of meanders a bit as it's waiting to set up the next bear gonna attack person X sequence. So I didn't feel like the story itself was was as thought out as it could have been. But having said that, I went to see a film about a bear on cocaine, and yeah, you it, did, <laughs> and it, it delivered. It, it it delivered. There were some parts where I laughed out loud. There's a few moments where you jump, but it's I wouldn't even say it's not even like that that gory but it's just more fun watching people realize that this bear isn't quite right and things happening from there and i believe it was the last one of the last films that ray Liotta did uh so it's kind of bittersweet seeing him on screen but at the same time you could tell everyone in this film is having having fun so cocaine bear is now available um for viewing on demand so wherever you get your vod films um, you know, it's it's worth seeing. That's what I will say. It, it's, worth, it's definitely <laughs> worth checking out. Um, and another one that is a new release, again, going back to films that we saw at Sundance, I saw a film called Rye Lane and that is now going to be available on Disney Plus as of March 31st. It is a film I highly recommend. It is a romantic comedy that takes elements of like before sunrise and a lot of other rom-coms that you've experienced. You've got two individuals, Dom and Yaz, who are 20-somethings in the UK that are both dealing with recent breakups. And they kind of have a chance encounter in a in a local bathroom and end up kind of having a pretty much spending a day together while they're both trying to work through their issues and also kind of growing closer to each other. And even though that premise may sound familiar, even though that premise may sound familiar, it's is handled with such energy and creativity that it feels both familiar and new at the the same time. Like this is probably one of the better romantic comedies I've seen in a in a long time. There's just so much energy. You the characters feel real and the culture feels real so as they are traversing through south london you're you don't feel like you're just watching watching caricatures go through the the usual beats like you actually engage with these characters both dom and yaz are entertaining and they have their quirks that are very identifiable and the icing on the cake is there's a wonderful cameo by colin furf um early on in the film that kind of comes out of nowhere but works as you yeah within i I don't want to divulge too much of it because i feel it's a film that you really gotta um just let it wash over you but if you're looking for a good romantic comedy i believe it's only like an hour and a half it flies by great characters and it's probably a film that i will be revisiting quite often so that is rye lane and it will be premiering on disney plus this week
0: that sounds great yeah i mean i sometimes i have a problem with romantic comedies because they are familiar like you said mm-hmm. it's like oh it's the same formula same kind of situations and it doesn't they don't really get overly complicated um mm-hmm. in terms of you know like a, a film experience like a f- cinematic experience but this sounds uh, promising Yeah. yes
1: and i and i think you will will like it as well because there's like a there's a musical element to it in the sense that um well there's a, there's a amusing karaoke uh moment in it but there's also part of yaz's story arc is that she's trying to get back a tribe called quest record from her ex oh so (laughs) and she kind of convinces dom to help her break into her ex's place to try and get this uh record so there's this whole long through way of her trying to find the keys to the ex-boyfriend's place and then having to go to I guess essentially the ex-boyfriend's relatives and they're having this cookout and it's just a wonderful comedic moment where you have like the old generation and the new generation comparing musical notes and dom trying to pretend like he he's down with like a lot of the um like reggae and just classic soulful music whereas the type of stuff that he's listening to is completely not what you would expect him to be to be listening to so there's like (laughs) oh that sounds good you know (laughs) it's my
0: my music nerd self exactly like getting very very interested in this premise especially the vinyl addict in me it's like you have my record give me my record back you know tribe called quest album would be very you know precious Mm. Yeah. something that you would fight to get back yeah
1: and it's just a, there's just a lot of color in it too like i mean it's one of those films where they really like the colors really pop like they really try to make this a visually appealing romantic comedy so as i yeah. said it, it just feels like they there's there's a lot of loving care put into this film and i believe it might even be a um first time director like uh, i uh, did not I can't verify for sure, but the, the filmmaker is Rain Allen Miller. Like, I I do believe it's her first, but I'd have to, to look it up. But again, you know, we've had three films in a row where the female directors are just really bringing out interesting stuff. And I would say that this, this is up there with 1001 in terms of one of those memorable films that I'll probably be revisiting.
0: <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it sounds, I like the, the idea of the subtle subtle kind of notes that are added mm-hmm. to, like it sounds like there are a lot of subtle notes added to this film like musical things musical tastes you know it sort of like fleshes out experiences fleshes out characters and situations
1: yes yes which i that...
0: think helps yeah so, so i'll that's... be checking that out i'll be checking it out for sure
1: yes that's great and i know that you have a couple of streaming recommendations this week um, yeah you know what's interesting of Violaine... like we,
0: yeah, we started with the bo- the girls and now I'm going to flip it over to the boys. Um, boys named Jason. And so <laughs> and, uh, it's interesting that um, there's something going on here where the boys are actually analyzing through these TV. I'm, I'm going to talk about t- a couple of TV shows. Uh, it ends up that the boys and being a, a man gets sort of analyzed and put under a microscope and anyway i'll get more specific why don't i just uh, dive right in uh one of the tv shows that uh, i was streaming was shrinking which is like it's done it's fully there on apple tv plus if you if you want to watch it and uh the jason involved here is jason siegel he was an actor on how i met your mother and um, he also did work, you know, as a producer and director um, and um, probably is best known for his work with, in that regard with um, Judd Apatow on the TV series Freaks and Geeks. So he's, you know, one of the creators of this and he stars in it as Jimmy laird who's a therapist like so this is about a group of therapists and then that that sort of world you know expands around them the people in their lives as well so it it focuses on him and he's a therapist and he is dealing with severe grief and what happens is suddenly this seems to to make him like breach his ethical barriers by telling his patients things like overly directly like this person is this person in your life he tells one patient that her husband is awful and she should leave him she has to leave him and like so he just like crosses lines that's that's kind of shocking You don't really know why so <laughs> the the interesting thing about it is that it the tv show has got a, an interesting cast of characters and i've heard like criticisms of shrinking, and I don't know what they are. I just know people have been criticizing it. I know some people really like it, and there have been criticisms of it, but I'm going to tell you that I don't know what those criticisms are. It's not the greatest thing, but I really found it interesting in the way that Jason Siegel's character, he allows him to be criticized. His daughter is furious with him and won't talk to him, and so, you know, and his neighbor. She is one of those nosy, uh, Liz, the neighbor, is one of those nosy people who is overly involved in his life, has actually taken over the care of his daughter, and um, she, she's kind of a Karen. <laughs> and, and so his co-workers are, um, the other therapists are Jessica Williams, who was Correspondent on the Daily Show, and she's also been in the Fantastic Beasts series of films. She's active, so she's Gabby, a fellow therapist, and Harrison, more importantly, <laughs> to me, <laughs> the reason I was curious was because Harrison Ford is in it as one of the other therapists who's who's Jimmy's mentor. Um, so it's uh I can see that the show is trying to create like a vast, more interesting cast of characters, like more diverse. You know, uh, there's also one of his patients that he's like become overly close to named Sean, who's like um, a war vet who's trying to deal with anger management issues. And Jimmy takes him under his wing in a sort of completely inappropriate way. Um, so the, the characters and their interactions, um, they're all f- faulty. They're all, the show, what I like about the show is it's messy. The the specific thing they drew me, Harrison Ford, I like it because even his macho character is being like subtly dissected throughout, oh, okay. you know, but also it's fun to watch Harrison Ford, it's not fun watching the rest of it. Some of it is quite um, touching, right? But, and some of Harrison Ford is touching, but at at the beginning it's sort of fun to watch this sort of Harrison Ford, macho Star Wars guy. He was Han Solo before, you know, this guy associated with Indiana Jones and like that kind of, he was a leading man that was kind of like leading like macho kind of guy. To watch him be more vulnerable, and watch the characters, the diverse characters in this show, also sort of have their wit, have fun at his expense. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody is spared in this show, and that's that's kind of why I like it. It's like it it's got this authenticity that I like, and it's got a level where, and especially like I said, Jimmy. The main character he is completely he, he he's up for grabs like his character is like completely uh, you know i i guess i can't think of a better word than dissected the other characters are just constantly you know he he did this wrong but not in a in a critical way in a very funny in a very funny way
1: so this one's looking more at the the therapist than the the therapy that they're that they're giving Nah, so
0: i don't know because like sean like people like sean for example he oh starts so they still like the one of the aspect. Main, yeah yeah okay he starts to become one of the main characters um because he jimmy in the way that he takes him under his wing like brings him sort of close to in, into his house basically and starts to take care of sean um in an interesting completely inappropriate way but and you sort of like, I was watching when I was watching it. I was thinking, you know, there are no consequences here to what Jimmy is doing. Like he just, this is a little bit unreal. And he, there's also like his gay best friend, right? So you, you've you've got the diversity comes from like one of his his uh, therapist friends, one of his colleagues is black, and um, Sean is black, and so. Like, he's not dealing with Sean in a way. Sean's got anger management issues. And Jamie's initial advice to him is like, that's so inappropriate. Yeah. You know? and it, But then it turns around. Oh, and at first, it, yeah, his gay best friend, it's sort of like, this is a little too perfect. Mm-hmm. You know the life of his gay best friend is a little too perfect, and it sort of remained that way. That was the the only like that. The the, the gay best friend and his uh, potential, like his fiance, right? That was a little bit too uh, airy fairy. It, got, it like, took you nice, out of the, nice, the, the, you the, the
1: story a little bit, yeah.
0: Just a little bit because it was like mm, he like he keeps wandering around, going everything works out for me and it, and everything does. <laughs> and then you're like, mm, that that's a bit, I don't know. Like I don't like any character doing that. <laughs> right? But then like I said with Jimmy and his consequences, if you watch the series to the like to the end of this season, um you see something that where you're sort of like it's kind of like not not fully expected uh, but you sort of get it when it happens. Yeah, so uh, that is one Jason, uh, Jason Segel, and so the other Jason is Jason Sudeikis with Ted Lasso, and the the crossover here, like the thing that connects these shows, is that Brett Goldstein, who is one of the stars of Ted Lasso, is uh, one of the creators with Jason Segel of Shrinking. So I don't, know, I don't mean to confuse people with my Jasons. So mm-hmm. Shrinking. It's created by Bill Lawrence, who also created Ted Lasso, Brett Goldstein, who stars in Ted Lasso, and Jason Segal, who has nothing to do with Ted Lasso, but stars in Shrinking. So that's Shrinking. So Brett Goldstein is in Ted Lasso, which features, now has a star and is created by, with, uh, with Bill Lawrence from Shrinking, right? He's he is Ted Lasso. And, you know, people have heard about Ted Lasso. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was mostly because of the Brett Goldstein. You know, he's in shrinking. He's showing himself to be a much more talented individual in the sense that like he he's writing for shrinking and, you know, doing stuff like that and producing. and He created the show which I think shows a lot of promise and was interesting. And even actually, it's more interesting than Ted Lasso has become. When Ted Lasso first came out, it was sort of innovative and different, and everybody was excited because you had Ted Lasso, the American college football coach who suddenly gets hired to coach a soccer team in England, a Premier League soccer team in England. And it was just because, the owner Rebecca wanted to get revenge on her ex-husband so she hired what she thought was an incompetent coach a nicey nicey guy so this is like a difference like this was like this character is not like in shrinking where he's like completely faulty in shrinking this guy is almost a little too like folksy but at first it was interesting it was like when it came out in 2020 it was like probably the perfect time for us to watch a nice guy win right it was it was a good time also because it wasn't messy it was simple ted lasso just fixed things fixed people brett goldstein is this like really scary player at the beginning he was this player who was like really nasty and, and biting and caustic and uh this is season three now. And it's so just like a couple of episodes have started on Apple Plus and like the next one is coming. And so what we have now, the situation is that they, uh, the team is uh, expected to do well. And Ted Lasso's protege, who's like, like a brilliant strategist, is now gone and he is working for Competitive, like their competitor, basically, and Ted Lasso is in the middle of these two warring exes, ex-wife and ex-husband. So it, it's still, you know, different in that Ted Lasso is, you know, this incredibly nice, nice character. Um, but what's what's starting to happen for me, anyway, is it's starting to lose. I'm starting to lose interest because even Brett Goldstein's character is starting to lose his edge, you know. Ted Lasso was always about um, good guys winning in the end about um, nice guys about healing about, you know, so it's even, it's even got this sort of mental health promote good health promotion. But as a TV show, it's, it's losing its edge. Like you need some sort of conflict, right? The messiness of shrinking works works for me better because there's some conflict in there. like, There's mistakes. People are making mistakes all the time, and it's creating problems. So far in Ted Lasso, it's, you know, there's this, like, there is this, like, main thing now being set up between, oh, my God, how could this protege go and work for the competition? It's a great opportunity for him, so you kind of understand, and he's kind of having trouble with it, but still, you know, uh, uh, the episode two, you start you start losing like i said the edges are starting to go and so far the characters like over like especially in season two you've got more of the secondary characters the football players which is where you get the more diverse kinds of people which is what would make the show more interesting they were starting to get a moment in the spotlight right okay and then it's like well where are they now
1: you yeah know? well maybe maybe it'll take time because like I, I i haven't watched season three yet i did enjoy the first two seasons though but yeah did I, you
0: find season two of it even even season two is starting to get like sappy even um, though more people more of the characters more of the the mates, the players were coming into their own as characters which was good which made it more interesting for me the sappy like just sappy it got sappy it's like Mrs. Maisel Mrs. Maisel had more edge and that with each season it's gotten sappier I don't know what it hasn't that one hasn't started yet but you know the last one and this is what's happening with Ted Lasso as well is Maisel now now I'm switching to Mrs. Maisel but (laughs) just for a point about Ted Lasso which is that in both cases they're throwing a lot of ideas out. This is a limited series with like ten. If you're going, to only have ten episodes. And in fact, I think the last season of Maisel had fewer. Don't throw all these ideas in, you know, mm-hmm. because you can't develop them. And Maisel—that's where Maisel failed. She didn't. They didn't. Right. Now, they
1: season two worked. Season two worked for me. Um, I do, I do understand what you're saying in terms of like, um the feel good aspect, but I always took it as a show that for all its um, characters and stuff, and it was really a a show about trying your best to be good in a world that is constantly trying to trying to make you become evil. Um, And even with Ted himself, as we saw, especially in the first season, his mental health was deteriorating because he was trying to maintain a, a facade of of being okay and you have to show sometimes that it's okay not to be okay it's okay to to have problems and flaws and i f- i found the way how uh, the characters unfold especially in season two um it worked and i think it was, was it nate the character that goes to the dark side quote H, unquote. yeah you, yeah you you understand why that would occur because in many ways he was kind of like the the pure innocent one that was getting dumped on and then kind of rose up. But as he started getting closer to that son, wanted even more and more power and clout. I
0: totally get it. Yeah. And because it's a great opportunity for him. Exactly. That other team.
1: And sometimes that desire and longing to achieve a certain thing comes with its drawbacks and other people kind of push you in the wrong direction. So, you know, maybe But you maybe should see him unfolds. now.
0: It's a bit, it's a bit much, which mm-hmm. even the first episode, even it's a bit much.
1: Yeah, and again, maybe they're, they're what setting happens it with up.
0: Nate, you know. Yeah, but
1: we'll, we'll see. We'll see how Nate uh, unfolds. But uh, I've I've enjoyed the right series. Do you see I'm what happens forward. to
0: Roy, like uh, Brett Goldstein's character? Mm-hmm. Like so far, Roy, it's like, oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> there has to be some sort of like conflict, you know? Um,
1: yeah, but I, I put my face in them. You know, this is the the final. The final season um so we will see what comes of it yeah. and as you I were think talking that's
0: why i'm being extra critical is because it's announced as the final season it's like don't don't lose it if <laughs> you're like wrap it up well um and i'm afraid that's that's what i'm doing
1: yeah it's but just, i think that fears. happens with, with every series we always put a little more um emphasis on the finale expecting it to be build up to something great. And then I think that's why so many people are disappointed with like the ending of a lot of iconic series because it never quite reaches, meets the potential that we um, established for. And, and it was funny because as you were talking about Ted Lasso, it reminded me of a film that I forgot to mention that I also saw, but um, in a weird through line, because Ted Lasso, the cast, was at the White House, I guess it was yes. last week, yeah. and there was yeah. so much promotion of that. Promoting remind-
0: mental health. They were talking about mental health. Which is a good thing. I'm not saying yeah. it's not a, a good thing. It's like, okay, sorry. Go
1: no, ahead. no, I was just going to say that it, the, them being there reminds you how sometimes art and politics can converge for for uh, different reasons. And it, it actually made me think about another film that I forgot to mention. It's on VOD called 88 um, that's coming out. And I believe it was directed by a director who goes by the name of Eromos. Um This was the first feature of of this director that i've seen but i think they've done maybe two or three before but the film is a political thriller starring um, brandon victor dixon who plays femi jackson and femi jackson is essentially a financial director for a political pact and it shows you how this pact is helping to raise funds and try and put this politician by the name of harold roundtree who's played by orlando jones into office Um, He's, I guess, a Democratic candidate. And as Femi's going through the numbers and looking at the donors and all that, he realizes that he starts to see a weird pattern in the donations. And a lot of donations totaling up to the number 88. And as he starts to delve in more, you realize that there are links to, I guess, old Nazi lore related to 88 and white supremacy. Now, Harold Roundtree is a black candidate so you've got this whole thing of like are these white supremacists helping to fund this black candidate and why so that's essentially the the basis of the political thriller there's interesting ideas in it. I don't think it quite works though and part of the problem is this film tackles a lot of different issues so like it, you know it explains essentially like what a pack is and you get like the whole animated thing of this is what a pack is here's how people use packs Um, And nonprofits to funnel money to ensure certain candidates get through. You've got jokes about Wakanda, where characters are like debating the first Black Panther, and you have like, you know, the first Marvel superhero film where Black characters are fighting Black characters, stuff that you've kind of heard on Twitter and on social media before. But there's just so many scattered ideas that it tries to pull into like a kind of nail biting thriller. And part of the problem is the film has to constantly stop its pacing to give you a history lesson, to explain um, how certain people were you know, denied um, loans. Like there's a character, um, Femi's wife works at a bank and she's kind of struggling to get this artist a, a loan for his business, but he's an ex-convict. So he can't vote banks don't want to fund. So you've got that aspect going. There's a great scene between Orlando Jones and William um, Victor Finkner, who you've seen in a dozen hundreds of movies. He's a great character actor where they're having he's essentially almost like a Charlie Rose style interview, and he's pressing Roundtree for not openly coming out and denouncing white supremacy. And that turns into a really engaging conversation about how the media has kind of perpetuated um, racial stereotypes. And a lot of the problems we have with with race in America is partly because of the way the media has framed it for years. Really fascinating conversation. But then when you think of like the film as a whole and some of the twists and turns it takes, it, it doesn't quite fit. It's almost like I wanted more of that expanded better than the way how the film unfolds. Like there's too many times where The film literally stops to give you a history lesson on subject X, subject Y, and then goes back to the thriller and then the thriller itself gets so convoluted that you start to. lose interest in why Femi is searching for this anyway, and the motives behind it so um, a film with interesting ideas I just don't think it it quite works and that's 88 and it's um, also available on VOD. so so we got a wide range of films this week. Uh, Films and TV shows
0: that will
1: meet pretty much every single taste.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, So uh, we have a wide range of stuff for you to listen to. I think that wraps it up for for this week. Um, If, again, please take a moment, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, to rate and review us wherever you are listening to this podcast, because uh, we greatly appreciate it. and also helps us to get to a a wider audience as well, who might also want to discover some of these films and shows we've been talking about.
0: Okay, so that's it for Frameline for this week. For Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Kosofsky. That was Frameline. Thanks for listening.